Welcome to the Black Women Unfiltered podcast, a podcast that explores the unfiltered journeys of Black women in discovering their purpose, owning their truth, and embracing their path of self-growth. This podcast encourages Black women to use their voices to reflect on their life experiences and expound on their truths that shape them into the woman they are now. This is Black Women Unfiltered, and I'm your host, Whitney Sam. Hey queens, this week we have a special episode called Owning Our Truths. I'm sure many of you are not aware, but it's National Infertility Week. In honor of that, I thought it was important to speak about infertility in the Black women community. This week, I brought Stacey Brown to the chair to discuss how she was diagnosed with a condition called MRKH at the young age of 25. MRKH is a condition that causes the vagina and uterus to be underdeveloped or absent although external genitalia are normal. I truly enjoyed hearing her story and Stacy showing her vulnerability and knowledge about this condition. Let's welcome this brave woman to the chair. Hi, Stacy. I'm so excited to have you in the chair today. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Me too. This episode will be featured on one of our Owning Our Truths, and I felt like it was important to talk about infertility in the Black women community. Um, I know I'm personally not knowledgeable about infertility, and I feel like it's mainly because we don't talk about it. It's kind of like a hush-hush thing, yeah. and then I know it's it's such a delicate subject because you know, I didn't even really think about it until I probably got like late 20s when like, you know, I would see people together for forever. And I'm like, oh, they don't have a kid yet. They don't want kids. Not even thinking that like, maybe something's going on behind the scenes. It's definitely something that that we don't talk about and we aren't like aware of necessarily. So, Absolutely. So when it's funny, so when Danny, um, just for the listeners. So Danny is a photographer. He took my newborn pictures and he actually recommended me to you. He was like, this is my friend Stacy. She has an awesome story. I think she should be on your podcast. And I was like, okay, like I'll look into it. Like, you know, yeah. I would never think like a man would be like, oh, this is perfect for a woman podcast. I was just kind of like, okay, how would you know? Like, <laughs> So funny story, when I was about to pitch you, and um, so normally when I pitch guests, I, I pitch them through email, mm-hmm. and I was about to pitch you, and I had like clicked on the link, I like listened to the podcast episode that you did, and I was like getting ready to pitch you, and I looked at the email name, and it said Monique, and I said, her name is Stacy on Facebook on Instagram. So why would she go? Why would she go by Monique? And I was like, that's so weird. I was like, you know, maybe this is like her assistant. And then I like looked and I was like, oh, she was a guest on that podcast. It's not her podcast. So I was like, well, let me stop before I send this email to someone who is not 
intended for. So I was like, my bad. So that's how I was like. So that's why I ended up messaging you on on Instagram and DMs, and I was like, I hope she doesn't think I'm weird. But I'm so glad that you know you decided to be on the show. I'm so happy you came. Oh yes, thank you. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, but I I really appreciate Danny. Just he's like really supportive, and you know I've been able to talk to him about things and share things with him. So. I appreciate him for connecting us too. That was really cool. Absolutely. And I was just, when I heard your story, like I was actually listening to the podcast in the bed with my husband. He's like, wow, like you got to bring her on the show. And I was like, I know, right? Like, this is perfect. Like, so if you could, you know, tell the audience a little bit about who Stacy is. Alrighty. So my name is Stacy Brown. I currently work in the field of prosthetics and orthotics. Um, So it's in the allied health field. Um, I'm a resident. I just graduated from school. And so our next step is residency. So that's why I'm in now. Um, My MRKH diagnosis and journey started when I was 25. Um, That's when I was officially diagnosed. Can you tell the audience what MRKH is? So MRKH stands for Maya Rokotansky Kusterhauser Syndrome. Hopefully I did not butcher that, but um, it's a rare syndrome. It affects one in 5,000 women where you're born without a uterus and you're born with an underdeveloped vaginal canal. Um, Some people find out around 16, between 16 and 18, um, just because it's a concern because you don't have a uterus, so you haven't started your period yet. Um, I found out when I was 25. Okay, and can you walk us through your story of your diagnosis? Of course. So I um, thought I had a UTI. I had never experienced that before. So I was kind of like, what is happening to me? Um, so mm-hmm. I went to an OBGYN that was, um, it was, it was in the area. I was in Chicago at the time and for my master's program. And you know, we had a discussion, didn't, I ended up not having a UTI, but he was just like, have you started your period? I'm like, no. Um, and so he was like, well, we need to look into this. Um, tried to do an exam. It was extremely painful for him to do an exam. And he was also like, there's no um, opening for him to be able to do the exam. So then we started the process. I had an ultrasound at first. Um, and then they, I also did an MRI, um, which that was a very, that was just terrifying. I just going through that process by myself of actually going to an appointment and going into it very blind. Um, and during, while I'm doing the MRI, they, they pull me out and they're like, have you ever had a hysterectomy? And I'm like, no. And then I like go back into the, into like, they continue everything. And so it's, it was a series of like these bombs being dropped with no explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually my, the doctor who called me back with the results for the ultrasound and the MRI. Um, and he says, well, it looks like there was something that was developing in utero, but didn't develop all the way. And so I connect that to, so are you saying that I was born with that one? He's like, no, I can't confirm that. I can't answer those questions. And so it was, it was very discouraging because it seemed like he didn't do his research on his side. Like, mm. 
it wasn't kind of like he looked at this and was like, oh, this is kind of strange. What What is out there that could possibly um, correlate to this? And I did have a, at a moment when I was 18, I went to do an ultrasound and the nurse was very confused. Um, but she was just like, oh, you're probably like biopacked up and we'll just, we'll worry about that later. And I like, we just never went back to look at it. So it was just, um, and so because of that situation, he thought that I already knew that this is what, that I didn't have a uterus or, you know, that this was the issue. So it was just, it was terrible bedside manner. It was no type of compassion. Um, instantly threw surgery at me. He's like, yeah, there's a sur- there's an option for surgery. If you want to go through that, give us a call. And that was about it. And um, his, his doctor's office was in the same office that my classes were. So like mm-hmm. the same building. And I'm like, it would have took nothing to say, hey, can you come meet with me and let's have a conversation in the office. So it was, it was just a lot emotionally. It was, it was definitely unexpected. And how did that make you feel knowing that like this was your doctor, but he had no, no tact behind talking to you about your infertility issue or your condition at this point? Um, you don't feel seen. Like you mm-hmm. don't feel as if people are taking the time to acknowledge you as an individual and to also to not acknowledge your diagnosis. Um, I think it, it would have been, I just, there were just so many other options. And so like looking back, I'm like, this could have gone another way of like, Hey, I don't have the answers, but I can, you know, connect you with someone who does. I did eventually go find another doctor. Um, she was a, a female doctor at a different hospital to officially get diagnosed with MRKH because he didn't have the information to diagnose me. Um, but it, that was something that I had to do on my own. So, yeah, definitely, it definitely feels like a, a lack of acknowledgement or in a lack of education as well do you feel like because he was a male doctor he didn't care like yeah do you feel like because he was a male he didn't care or understand to care I I don't know like Mm -hmm. part of me is like yes he probably didn't have a, a certain you know wasn't compassionate in in the way that I needed just because of just that lack of understanding and um and at the time it was very difficult for me to find a a black female doctor that's that's someone that I wanted to go to to be able to relate to um mm-hmm. but it just it wasn't available to me at the time when I was in Chicago to specifically diagnose this issue um and it was, and I kind of felt like I was in a rush to get answers. Like I started, like I went so long without getting answers. That is like, I started the process of getting it. And I was like, okay, well, let's do this. Like, let's figure this out. Um, and just the amount of work that it took to find a doctor, get an appointment, schedule these appointments around my classes. Um, so it, I mean, it, 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 could definitely be a factor for sure absolutely well I commend you on not losing it because I know I would have lost it oh, I- answers for me 
That's not gonna work for me. <laughs> I I like. I'm the type of person that if I'm in a situation like, it's kind of like if you're going back and forth with some person like in, with an argument and you think of your responses later on. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely that type of person. So oh, okay. <laughs> after after the phone call, I definitely had a moment of like, wait a second, like what? <laughs> like what do you mean? So. Right. I can imagine because, you know, here's this diagnosis or lack of lack of caring. And then, you know, it's already said that when black women have health concerns, we're ignored. So that that adds another layer onto that annoyance. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. I'm mad for you still. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's still there. I can still feel it. Like <laughs> Right. I want to, but Props to you for being a self-advocate for yourself and just not letting it um, die there. So can you talk about what made you push forward and seek a female doctor? Um, because I I still needed answers. Um, mm-hmm. It was like, it literally felt like, like my heart just dropped as soon as he gave me that information. Um, and he didn't give me any resources. It wasn't like, hey, here's a support group. There was none of that. Um, mm. And I just really, I really felt like I deserved more, that I was worthy of more. Um, and so it was just like doing the work, trying to schedule an appointment, um, which I ended up scheduling an appointment before my final exam, which was like, that was a crazy process too. Um mm-hmm. But just like finding someone who can actually give me answers, who can actually diagnose me. I mean, even if I would call the doctor's office to make an appointment, I'm like, yeah, I think I have MRKH and I need to come in to be diagnosed. And it was kind of like, well, what's that? Um, so, again, like not not feeling seen and, and acknowledged, but I I had to I had to get answers. I needed someone to be like, hey, this is what it is, this is what's going on, this is the name of it. So was the doctor that finally told you what the diagnosis was, was she a Black woman? No, she was not. Um, But she was someone who knew about MRKH. Um, Okay. So she was more in the pediatric side of things, because that's like between 16 and 18. Um, When you're, when you're, you're finding this out. And even, even the exam that she did for me was very quick, very like, yep, you have MRKH. (laughs) So, um, it was, yeah, that was like the, what I needed to kind of confirm what was, what was happening. Okay. So did you feel relieved when she told you what it was? I did not feel relieved. I, I felt really scared um Mm. I instantly like questioned if I was a woman and I still didn't understand what was happening and what was happening with my body um and and kind of kind of feeling like you know I really wanted someone to explain this to me and and break it down for me but that was a lot of research that I had to do on the side of things, uh, like on my own, um, mm-hmm. 
I was I was very like very emotional, very sad because I was in Chicago at the time. So my friends and my family weren't um, weren't around me. I did have my roommates, uh, my my two roommates that I went to class with, Bria and Marion, helped me so much. They were extremely extremely supportive. That um, it was just it was such a hard time, and it was such a hard like, wow, here I have this expectation of or the world has this expectation of what a woman is and what her body is supposed to do and and the what like the parts that make up her body and here I am and I and I don't have this. And so it's like, well what does this mean? Like um and just really really changed how I how I looked at myself and how I looked at my body. Yeah, so can you kind of walk us through that like, you know, you said that you immediately questioned yourself as feeling like a woman. Um, can you walk through that experience? Yeah, because I, like, I no longer felt, like, I didn't feel pretty. I didn't feel, like, feminine, and I didn't feel, mm-hmm. like, it was, like, that that part of me that, you know, confidence and self-love is, is goes up and down, and it's a consistent thing you're working on. Um, but it literally felt like I was starting back at square one. Um, mm. and that in my cage was another insecurity that I had to address and had to deal with. And it was another insecurity on my list of like insecurities that I already had. Um, and like, I would dress in certain things and I would like, I would go change my clothes cause I didn't feel how the outside of me looked like I I did definitely didn't feel confident, um, definitely didn't feel attractive or desirable. And it was like, I felt as if like people were looking at me and could tell that I didn't have a uterus or like if people could look at me and see like the shame that I was carrying um, with MRKH and with this like new diagnosis and just like really, 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 really being angry at my body. And, re- and feeling as if I had no control um, and being being angry at God as well. Yeah, I can understand all those emotions. And so have you found a way to push through or is there something you're still working on? I think it's something that I am consistently still working on. I think it's getting better. Um, but there are some days where I'm just like, I'm just not feeling it. And I allow myself to feel those emotions. But I set boundaries. Like, I'm not allowed to put myself down or, you know, be like, oh, you're ugly or you're unattractive or, like, you're not desired. Or um, so I I definitely watch those sides of things, like just the, the harsh words that can kind of come up and, and the things that I say to myself. But. I I allow myself to feel those feelings like even even now like Valentine's Day is coming up and I'm like here I am sharing my story and you know trying to to bring awareness to this and thinking like is this gonna affect me being able to find a man one day like um like is this is this gonna impact my relationships in the future just um of them knowing that like being able to go my go to my page and see this information up front. Um, 
and so it's 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 a it's a lot of up and ups and downs but I've definitely been honoring my emotions and how I'm feeling in the moment I love that I love that you are giving yourself space and grace and that you are acknowledging your feelings and you know I just feel inclined to tell you that you are not your condition you are every bit of a woman that God created you to be and this is your story and this is your truth and you're going to help so many people just know that that you're going to touch so many lives as you go throughout this journey thank you I really appreciate that no problem. Any man that don't want to be by your side for this, let him be. He's not meant for you. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That's very That's true. Amazing. So how did you tell your family and friends about, you know, your diagnosis? Um, I actually, like, my friends, we have a group message. Um, mm-hmm. And I just kind of put it in a group message just about what was going on because I was just, whew, I was so stressed out, so afraid. I was in the middle of finals. Um, I And I really, I'm so focused on allowing myself to feel these feelings now because when I was first diagnosed, I didn't. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. I have school, I have goals, I have things that I need to focus on. I don't have the time to allow myself to deal with this um so I definitely ignored a lot of emotions um and and kind of put put push them aside but I was like telling my friends through our group message and you know they were walking through the process with me of going to see the first doctor and then seeing the second doctor and like I called my parents and and told them what was going on and that I was looking into this so um, but I was definitely, I wanted to still, even though we weren't together, I still wanted to include them in the process and, you know, give them as much information as I could, as I also was like learning about this, these new things and this new information. But what, yeah. Was it hard for you to tell them, tell the people closest to you? Not necessarily, um, mm-hmm. just because I knew that regardless, oh, I'm like getting emotional. <laughs> okay. um, I knew that regardless, they would still love me. Like, yeah, absolutely. Take your time. Like, they would still support me. And just like be there for me however however I needed them to. Um, so it definitely wasn't, I wasn't afraid to tell them, but I was just like, it was more of, of my thoughts and how I felt about myself in telling them like, I'm the oldest. So like me not necessarily being able to give like my, my parents' grandchildren are, you know, and being the oldest with that and, like, you know, just thinking about, like, uh, having a husband in the future and feeling like, and feeling like I failed, like, my family and, like, my future husband. Like, I, like, 
Like there was a part of me that like didn't meet this this expectation and it wasn't an expectation that anybody, you know, like get, like put on me. It was just something mm-hmm. that I was um thinking about myself kind of in my own head. So Absolutely. And the world puts so much pressure on women to define themselves with being able to have children. Yes. I know, like, even for myself, I remember a lady was doing my hair one time and she was like, you must have kids. And I was like, what do you mean I must have them? And she was, she said something so ignorant that she was just like, for women that don't have kids, there's something off about them. And I was like, that is the most thing I've ever heard. And no, that is not okay. Like, if I don't want to have children, you don't even know if I can have children. But for the world and people to have thoughts about that and actually believe that is is a mess to me because of, you know, people who struggle to have kids and have to you know go through all these processes like that we can't we can't be ignorant like that anymore right and that that is exactly how I feel like there is mm-hmm. enough information and stories and experiences about that that like like we should change this whole thing where do you have kids or where that mm-hmm. question isn't seen as a personal question like mm. Like, I really feel like that needs to be stopped because I, even at work, I get asked that all the time. Like, oh, do you have kids? Do you want kids? And it's just like, you know, this is really none of your business. But, you know, um, like it could be, it could be a sensitive topic and a personal topic. And so I think like that should no longer be small talk in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right people treat it like pre- uh, pleasantries like how are you yeah. are you married do you have kids and you like like I said it, it wasn't until my late 20s I really thought about it like that because you know I just live in a happy-go-lucky world sometimes where I'm just like yeah. everybody can have kids it's whatever like maybe they're not having kids but they're having fun living their life not realizing that every day you said it's one in five women that have your condition I didn't even know that that's alarming in itself and it's people aren't bringing it to the table and people aren't talking about it and then I know like even when you try to get pregnant the doctors tell you like we can't tell you anything for a whole year if we know something's wrong with you and it's like what wow that's crazy (laughs) yeah like a whole year before they can be like you might be infertile or you might have a hard time getting pregnant like what why is it a whole year yeah, and and even just the rareness of, like, like when I think about one in 5,000, right, and you go to Beyonce concert, and if it's, like, 35,000 people there, it's like, okay, there may be 700 people in this crowd that have the same diagnosis that I do. Mm. Like, like, that's, like, that's how, let me make sure I did my math right, but that's how, like... <laughs> <laughs> that's how I I feel about that like so mm-hmm. it's it's um it's very interesting for sure right now I was doing some research and I don't know if Google 
was correct that time. They said .gov, so I took it for what it was. But it says that women with MRKH syndrome, some of them can have children. Not like you can't have them yourself, but you can produce eggs. Is that correct? Yes, because we still have ovaries. Um, okay. So they're like you can you can like go through egg retrieval and um, you're still you're still able to go through that process. So like IVF is still an option. Um, surrogacy is still an option. I'm honestly still learning about the options. Um, okay. Some places, like there has been successful, um, like uterine transplants. Um, so there, it's it's there are more options. I just think for me to like assess all those options right now is so overwhelming. <laughs> it's understandable. And I saw that there's there's a type one and a type two. Is mm-hmm. that, do you know which type that you have? I don't know specifically what type that I have. Um, okay. I think that because there's there's two different types. Because one one type I know sometimes they also have um, issues with their kidneys. Um, so I don't, like, I wasn't specifically diagnosed with a type, but I don't, like, so far I haven't had, um, any kidney issues. Scoliosis sometimes is also associated with it, um, Mm. but I, I don't, I don't have that as, I don't have that either. Okay, so did they do a full workup on you when you got diagnosed to see if you had any other um, system-related issues? No, it was, I honestly still need to go to a doctor for that. Um, Mm -hmm. But no, it was just a real quick, like, exam. All she did was, like, use a Q-tip and check, like, the depth um, when she did an exam on me. And then she was Mm -hmm. like, she was like, yeah, you have MRKH. So it was it was re- a really, really, real quick exam. Um, mm-hmm. And then she just told me about support groups and organizations and um, that there are options for surgery. Okay. And so, you know, prior to receiving your diagnosis, you never thought of any, like, not alarming that you hadn't got your period yet or anything? I did. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was in a car accident when I was younger. Um, okay. I was probably in the fifth grade, and I was sharing a seatbelt. Um, and I went forward, and the seatbelt like cut part of my small intestines. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I like wasn't sure if like the trauma that was done internally had an impact on my period. Um, okay. And so for a long time, I was like, maybe that's it. Like, maybe something happened that I don't know about. So it it definitely was, I had to go to, um, I went to John Hopkins. So I had to like call them and get my medical records and read over them. It's a whole bunch of medical jargon. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I had to read over them to be like, okay, this isn't and it's like necessarily an issue that's associated with it. Um, and then I just kind of, I went from there. Okay, and then you said at 18 you got an ultrasound and they said mm-hmm. you were back 
backed up? Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah, so I guess she thought that, like, I had, like, bowel, I, like, and I needed to use the bathroom. Like, I was, like, okay. constipated, and then that's why she couldn't see anything. Um, okay. And then, and then that was, that was pretty much it. <laughs> um, okay. And that, that makes sense. Yeah, so... So now that you, you know, you have your condition and you know about it, um, what are your thoughts about, you know, your future living with this condition? Honestly, to take it day by day. Um, it's It's been September 18th was when I was diagnosed, so it's been a little over a year. Okay. And so I am learning um that in order to identify a trigger, I have to allow it to be triggering. Um, and I have Ooh, to, I, I have to, oh, oh, I've learned that lesson several times. <laughs> um, you because, educated me. Because like, you have to, to be able to identify it to then like, maybe respond to it, like still have a response, but maybe you're responding, the magnitude of your response isn't the same. Um, mm. And so it's it's identifying what those are. Like, I went to my first baby shower, and that was a mess. And I mm-hmm. I spent all day trying to not make it a thing and trying to not get emotional about it when I was allowed to be emotional about it. And um, I was allowed to feel, whether if that was feeling inadequate or, like, Whatever emotions were showing up for me to allow myself to feel that. So I'm still doing that. Like if I'm on Instagram, sometimes I'll see like pictures of pregnant women and I might have to unfollow them temporarily or like mute their page just because I, I'm i not in, in a space yet um, mm-hmm. to see that. Or a lot like Thanksgiving and Christmas are really hard. Um, Mother's Day is really hard and so it was like now having this diagnosis and all these holidays or all these triggers that I that weren't necessarily triggering to me before that are now Um, so processing that and and, um, I think right now it's me doing as much research as I can for my options when it comes to if I want to have a family in the future um Mm -hmm and surgery as well I don't know exactly what the specific type of surgery would be like what it all entails but um like when I was first diagnosed I didn't like I like right now I don't want the surgery because I know that's not going to bring me joy um and I don't want to get the surgery to then be able so that like so then that will be able to be, I'll be able to validate myself as a woman. Um, and so basically the, also the surgery, it creates a vaginal canal for you, um, which basically just means you're able to have sex at that point. Um, okay. So I'm just in the process of trying to figure it, trying to figure it all out and taking it one step at a time. Absolutely. So have you thought about becoming an advocate to spread awareness of your condition? Yes. Um, I realized that 
me sharing my story is a form of advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I didn't see the value in that. I, it kind of felt like, oh, I'm just I'm just making this post, or oh, I'm just like having a conversation with someone, or you know, writing something for this blog. But um, I think now I am like calling myself an advocate and like mm-hmm. being confident in that. And also like remembering my why for why I want to do this. And that that is what is going to continue to motivate me to continue to share. <laughs> I would like post things. I'd be like, why did you do that? Like, why did you post this? Like everybody knows this about you type of thing. But I mean, it's, it's a form of advocacy. And I think sometimes with social media, you get so wrapped up into views and likes and all of these things. And it's, and I realized that whoever needs my story, like God is going to make sure that it reaches them. Absolutely. I was going to ask, what is your why? My why is to be able to create something beautiful and purposeful out of MRKH. Um, because it's it's so tough. It's such a difficult diagnosis. You go through so many things just emotionally and how you process like your body and, and what's going on. And infertility, like infertility is like a a portion of MRKH. Um, so dealing with that and and I really I really want to show myself that I am way stronger than I think I am. Um and that I can like do these things and share my story and do it in a very very beautiful and vulnerable way. And I want to change, like, just like, like what we talked about, just the, the world has this expectation, and I think that has to stop, um, because it's, it's so unfair to so many other women who are, who are dealing with things, who um, already don't feel like a woman, and then the world is kind of telling them, well, uh, kind of validating that, um, mm-hmm. and to just so that, like, Black women, too, that we as Black women can have this conversation, like, Yes. That this doesn't have to stay, like we don't have to hide behind it or we don't have to to be ashamed of it. Um, but also acknowledging that every person can share their story or not share their story based on their own time. Um, and that their disclosure is, is their superpower in a sense. Like you have the right to either say, like tell your story or not. Um, and that that is okay as well. You almost kind of summed it up, but I wanted to know, like, what do you want Black women to know about infertility? I want Black women to know that, like, I see you. Um, mm. That, like, I see your pain. I see your disappointment. I see this like lack of trust in medicine that is not a responsibility of ours to fix. That is on the responsibility of medicine to fix. And, and, um, and that like, I, I see how that can make it even harder to, to go through this process and to, to learn about diagnosis such as MRKH, um, to be able to deal with infertility, to be able to seek help. 
just to learn how to love ourselves and in our power as black women in our power like in that like you said that I am at my diagnosis just just definitely that like I see you and I and I and I see what you're going through and I think so many times we walk into a doctor's office and we don't feel like we're being nurtured how people expect us to nurture um others in that like we deserve that like we deserve bedside manner and compassion and we deserve answers and we deserve to be listened to essentially yes we deserve it all and I love how you said first thing you said was I see you and that's so I feel like we need that sisterhood in the black women community, because this is a topic that we both said is not talked about, is not shed light upon, you know, even shame, because this comes from generations and generations of black women being able to have kids. And, you know, if you didn't have kids, why don't you have kids? Exactly. Um, so I definitely agree with that. So earlier you mentioned that um, your doctor told you about some resources and support groups, um, what what are some sources or support groups that Black women can look into about fertility and um, MRKH? Yeah, um, of course. So I am a part of a group called Sisters Surviving Infertility. Um, my Janae, Janae, I love her so much. And I have mm-hmm. met so many beautiful Black women. Like, it's crazy because I, I like, we'll get on a, on a, on a like zoom call or something and we'll see each other and I'm like wow y'all are so strong and just so beautiful um but they are definitely a part of my community and a part of people that like I can go to if I had a rough day who understand what I'm going through um and just allow me to to be present in what I'm feeling and to acknowledge what I'm going through. I think sometimes you feel like things are all in your head and it's really like, no, this is valid. Like, no, this is happening to you. Um, and so that's a that's a great support group that I'm a part of, um, that they are like open to accepting people with open arms. Um, the Beautiful Youth Foundation is also another organization that, um, that spreads awareness about MRKH and I've met some amazing, amazing people through that from like all over the world. Um, and so they they have definitely created a safe space. Both of these organizations have created a safe space for, for women to share their stories um, at their own time and just giving information and support. So. Those, those have definitely helped me. Well, Stacy, I had such a great time getting to know you a little bit, getting to know a little bit more about your story and infertility. Um, keep going, sis. Keep telling your story. You've inspired me and many others that you don't even know yet. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for this, you know, for this platform and for, like, sharing, sharing stories. Like, that's powerful within itself, so. Thank you. Hey, Queen. Thanks for listening to the Black Woman Unfiltered podcast. If you enjoy the show, 
be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other Black queens like you who are searching to hear stories about Black women finding their purpose and owning their truth find the show. If you want to hear more from me, follow me on Instagram at Black Women Unfiltered Podcast. Also, check out the website at www.blackwomanunfiltered.net for weekly episode recaps. As always, have a great week.